Hey everyone, it's Michael Jammin. Welcome back to another episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This. Uh, I'm here with Phil Hudson. Welcome, Phil. What and up? What up? We're doing another Q&A. So once a month, I do a live webinar. You're all invited to go to, to be invited, go to michaeljammin.com slash webinar. The one in June, the topic was, we always do a different topic, but the one in June was the truth about contests, screenwriting contests and pitch fests. And afterwards, I do a Q&A and we try to get to as many questions as we can when we run out of time and I can't answer all of them while Phil has kept a file. And now we're going to answer all those questions for you. So hopefully this will be very illuminating. Yeah. I mean, it may seem a little random, but uh, whatever. It's it's knowledge. All right, Phil. Yeah. So hit me with a question. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just again for uh, decorum purposes, I guess, or flow, um, we took all the questions. If we don't answer your question here, it's probably addressed somewhere else. So we have previous Q&A question, um, set, you know, podcast episodes. You take questions all the time on your social media. They're... There's stuff everywhere. So if your question hasn't been answered, most likely it's been answered somewhere else. We've already your YouTube it. is actually a great place to go for yeah. our content. Subscribe so to my Michael channel. Jammin Writer. Yeah, yeah, Michael Jammin Writer on YouTube as well as Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Yeah, and you can go to Michael's site as well. And I believe in the footer, there's a list of all your social media and they can mm -hmm. click on that stuff. So yeah. uh, so I've, I've broken your questions out into multiple sections by topic and I've had to fold some questions together because there were just a ton of questions in this podcast, in this webinar. So okay. this first section is called Breaking In related to the truth about screenwriting contests and pitch fests. And Michael, you are not one to mince words regarding all of these hacks and cheats to get into the industry. Yeah. And I think it's something a lot of people need to hear and hopefully have are going to hear from you today. By the so, way, you know, I want to say, I'm sorry, Phil, but the webinars are always free. And if you miss it, we send you a free replay, which is good for 24 hours. And then if you miss that, you can purchase it on my website for a small fee at michaeljammin.com slash shop. So, you know, sorry if you missed it, but you had to wax yeah. at it for free. Okay. Yeah. And, and that's on demand and permanent. Like it's not, you watch it once and it goes away or it, just, it expires. It's like you, you get it and yeah. it's chock full of good information. Yeah. Awesome. So Natalie Failure, uh, how do you even find a person to pitch your screenplay to? So since these contests don't help your career get started, mm. how do you get your career started? How do you come become qualified to get hired or work in any of these production companies? So what you need to have, you look at your script as a writing sample. You can write a movie, a tele, whatever you want, a TV show, whatever it is. Everyone's get so focused on, well, how, do I need a Bible? Do I need episode three and four and, and season 10? No, no. You just need one damn good script that will impress people. That's all, just one. And one is hard enough. So write your script. And then when you give it to somebody, if it's good, someone in the industry, They'll pass it along if it's really good. If it's mediocre, they're not. If it's okay or bad, they're not going to pass it along. You don't get a chance to sell your TV show if it's bad. No, you have to write a great script. That's, that's what's in your hands. So everyone just assumes that. And they assume, well, I already have a good script. Okay, but does anyone else agree with you? Does, you know, does your, have you given to anyone who agrees with you that it's a great script? Because it's not up to you. They have to agree with you. They have to say, yeah, it's a great script. And then doors will open. But first things first, learn how to write. Yeah, and that that actually jumps us down because you address this. Kimmy Drake asked, typically how many episodes do you pitch? One. You, first you don't do any. Yeah. You, pitch, you give one script. How are you going to pitch an episode? How are you going to pitch your show if you can't even get the meeting to pitch a show? And you can't get the meeting until someone reads a script of yours and says, this is a really good script sample. It's a work, it's a writing sample. That's it. It's not about selling anything. It's about impressing people with your ability to write. It's okay if you're not going to sell it. I can't tell you how many scripts I've written. The intention wasn't even to sell it. It was just to impress people. Yeah. The, the, the last part of this question is how do you become qualified to get hired or work in any of these production companies as an avenue of working your way up? Yeah. Uh, and the answer is you start at the bottom. Yeah, you start at the bottom, way at the bottom, where you're not even thinking about that. You're thinking, well, how, how can I become qualified to get coffee for the person who works here? And, and then you, that's how you start making contacts. That's how you start working your way up. So everyone yeah. wants to start at the top. My recommendation is start at the bottom. 
Mm. Beautiful. Liz Romanic, besides attempting to get representation from an agent, what's another way to get my screenplay seen by a producer? Oh, well, again, working, do what Phil does. He works at a um, production company, first as a PA, then I got promoted to, you know, associate producer. Uh, that's how you do it. That's how you, that's another way to do it. Another is to work, start at the bottom, start making your connections in Hollywood. Another way to do it is to, you can, you can start your own channel on social media where you're putting out amazing, you're shooting and making your own amazing content. And I'm not talking, and I'm talking about, you know, scripted, whatever it is you want to do as a scripted, start doing that, you know, start impressing people with your ability to be, to write and amazing things will happen. But I was going to do a whole webinar on that as well, because I know I'm not, I'm giving short shrift to, uh, to that answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll explain in detail in future webinars. Yeah. Awesome. Rob Stagenborg. They say Hollywoodism all is always looking for new talent, but are they really? Yeah. They're looking to exploit you. And like I said, you want to be exploited. Why not? They're looking for someone to make them rich. Everyone is looking for someone to make them rich. And if you have the ability to make them rich, if they look at you and they see dollar signs in your face, you're in. You're in. But yeah. the problem is no one wants to do that. They 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 want to beg, come on, no one wants to, no one's interested in helping your career. They want to help their own career. And the way they help their own career is by finding someone who's this who's got a ton of talent that they can exploit in a good way but exploit yeah yeah all right our our buddy the joven shares back and this question is in reference to one of the topics of the webinar which is available now for people to buy if you want to go watch it it's michaeljammon.com slash shop but this is in relation to the topic of what's what's the reality and value of competitions and screenwriting contests and all the stuff and you're basically saying not a lot and most of them are not beneficial. We, yeah, we, we, you can go listen to the, to the webinar. We talk about which kind of which ones I, I think are the best ones and the biggest ones. But the small ones, the little ones, it's only making them rich, not yeah. you rich. And so, so with that context, does this advice also go for short story competitions? I don't really know. Uh, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm not in that world. I'm a, I'm a TV writer. So Yeah, and, and that might be short film contests and things. Uh -huh. um, but there's the occasional short film that, that gets gets moved, like uh, like uh, Napoleon Dynamite, right? Was was it Palooka? I don't it know. Got, it was a short that was put into Sundance, and then it got bought, and then it got flipped into a feature. But they That's said short story, hard. though. This person said short Correct. story. In the context of screenwriting, okay. I think it's really about short films because uh, you're you talking about a story. If, yeah, I mean, if you can make something in a, in a respective, especially a film festival, that's a little different. If you make something at a film festival that gets people's attention, yeah, but that's what I'm yelling at all along. You're, you've already made it. You've already made it, yeah. and it's already great. So yeah, you've done you've done the work. You're not hoping someone else will give you the in. Yeah. All right, Sadie Wisehart. What are avenues with getting into the industry with just an associate degree? I keep hearing being a PA is great, but are there also other avenues? Michael, I've never once in my life been asked if I have an associate's degree. It's I, something I, people talk about, but I... No one cares. Am I, can, Phil, I, I want to know, can you get the coffee? Can you pick up lunch? Yeah. Do you know how to use the coffee machine? That's what I want to know. I don't need to see this, your diploma. This will be fun. So this is my diploma cover I was handed when I walked across my stage at my college graduation. Mm -hmm. It's empty. Right. There's no diploma in here. Why? My school went defunct. My school closed. Went out of business. There's no, there's no Did I earn it? Yep. Do I have the honors? Yep. Do yeah. I have photos of me? Did my family come? Yep. There's no diploma in there. If someone wanted to see my diploma, I couldn't even show it to them. That's yeah. how little it matters in, in the industry. Yeah. Just, can you do the job? But this person wants to know, are there other avenues other than PA? I mean, if you want to break into the business, you, you're going to have to start at the bottom. I'm, I, you're, I'm sorry. You don't get to become an executive producer unless you, you know, you got to start at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But, but again, I have a, I'll, I'll probably do a webinar coming up where I'll talk about things, other avenues to break into the business. If you absolutely cannot move to LA and you insist on not starting at the bottom, what else can you do? It's going to be uh, harder, but there are things you can do, but it'll be harder. So. Yeah. Uh, we've got a bunch of people are going to sign up for that one. That sounds yeah. like, 
That sounds like a lot of the questions we get. Okay, great. Um, Rob Stagenborg, uh, again, with so many services out there designed to help, in Aryan quotes, new riders, how can a new rider tell what is legit and what is a scam? I would assume everything's a scam. <laughs> I think that's the answer. I mean, what's, I mean, I don't know what's, I don't know what kind of service that they're talking about. If it's a coverage service, you're going to be read. Uh, the person reading your coverage is probably not qualified. They're no more qualified than you are, unless you were able to find a writer, a working writer, a, work, a successful working writer with credits that you've seen on IMDb, on shows. And there are, those people are, are out there that have the time to help, you know, charge people um, to read, to give notes or whatever. That's your due diligence. You got to find them. But I wouldn't, a service is different. Like a, a service is, you know, what are you going to get? You're going to get a minimum wage paying uh, person reading your your job. But if you can find a working writer to do that, and because of the internet, you probably can, then expect to pay. You expect to pay for someone's uh, expertise. They've earned it and you're going to have to pay more for it. Sorry, because uh, that's just how it goes. So if you want to pay $50, you're going to get $50 worth. If you want to pay $400, you'll probably get $400 worth. Yeah. And you, you got your start taking lessons from a former writer who was retired and doing that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. That's a little different, but yeah, I, I learned from, I, I wanted to learn from people who had the job that I had, the, who I wanted rather, yep. the job that I wanted. Yeah. Dominique Davenport. Hey, Michael and Phil. What's up, Dominique? Hey, I'm a PA from Atlanta. I'm just now getting my footing in the industry. What steps should I be taking starting out? Uh, good for you. You're already PA. You're already got your foot in the door. Maintain those relationships that you have with everyone who works there, from the producer to the associate producer to the coordinator. Just maintain those relationships and prove that you're a hard worker, that you'll go above and beyond because when they get their next job, they will bring you along with them. They're, they're, they, don't wanna, they don't want to train someone from scratch. So my advice to you is to be nice to whoever you've worked for uh, as a PA, the, the coordinator, all the way up to the producer, the executive producer, show them that you're a hard worker, show them that you hustle, that you go above and beyond, because when they go to their next job, they're going to want to take you with them. Why is that? Because they don't want to hire someone brand new and have to break them in. And maybe that person doesn't mm -hmm. have your work ethic. So it's just easier for them to work with the same people and promote those people. So you're in, you got your foot in the door. All you got to do now is continue doing more of the same, which is continue impressing people with how hard you work. Don't say no to anything. Get there early, leave late. Good for you. You're in. You're in. So just work your butt off and you'll do great. Yeah. Hannah Chartier, who's the writer's assistant on Tacoma FD, uh, and this is very specific to Atlanta. I was talking to her and her story is she volunteered and did a bunch of work for the Broken Lizard guys for Super Troopers 2. And then the she PA'd on that and the producer was so impressed he brought her along as his assistant for miss marvel in atlanta and i was talking to her on set and she was telling me that and i was like oh that's cool i know miss marvel stunt double cassidy i went to film school he's like oh i know cassidy cassidy's awesome that's how small the industry is so someone i went to film school with in new mexico who's working as a stunt person and an actor in atlanta knows someone that i'm sitting on a set in santa clarita california dressed in 13th century French garb, like we're having a conversation about that person. So that word does travel and your reputation does precede you. So uh, Chelsea Steve, should Hollywood go back to proper employment? So for those who aren't aware, Hollywood used to literally have a contract on you as a writer and you only worked for Warner, oh. you only worked for MGM and that was your job and you wrote oh. things for them and you were on their payroll and then that changed with a writer's strike and the formation of the Writers Guild to stop that because credits were being assigned to producers' girlfriends and whoever mm -hmm. it was, and you had no say because you were just an employee. And so they started a union to protect writers' interests, and that's how the WGA began. And I think this question is saying, should writers, should we go back to that as a form of, of employment? I think you answered it really well. I mean, some writers are lucky enough to have an overall deal at a studio and they get paid well, but most writers don't that. Most writers are just jumping from gig to gig. Uh, and that's why we're on strike right now because the studios have turned it into a gig economy. So uh, there's a happy medium somewhere, I hope. Yeah. 
Sadie Weishart, again, where would be some good organizations or companies to find jobs as writer's assistants? Also with the writer's strike, how would that affect that process? Well, there, there are no jobs during the writer's strike, so that affects that process. Writer's assistant is not an entry-level job. It is a job you have to be trained and qualified to do. I'm not qualified to be a writer's assistant. It's a union even. job, too. Now it's a union job uh, covered on IATSE, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but yep. you have to get into – you have someone has to train you how to do that, and I'm not – I'm a showrunner, and I don't know how to do it. And so usually you start as a PA, and then you ask the, sh the writer's assistant who's above you how do I do your job in case I, uh, you know, poison you? And that way I can take your job if you fall sick. And they will train you to, to, to know how to do that job because it, it, you have to know how to use the, the software really well, but you also have to know the distribution um, uh, protocols, who gets scripts, when and how, how they're distributed. And so it's a little bit complicated. There's some notes. You have to know how to take notes really well. Uh, so, but it's not an entry-level job, but it's a, do it's a job you definitely want to get if you are an aspiring screenwriter, for sure. Yep. Yep, everything's different right now and going to continue to be different even if the, if the actors strike. At this time, they yeah. have voted for the authorization to strike. So, yeah. Tom Miller, if I get rejected from contests and get no's from query letters, what do I do? There's your problem right there. If you get rejected from a contest, um, a reputed one, the big ones that we talk about in the... Uh, in that webinar we just did and I don't, you're not going to get rejected, but you're not going to, let's say you don't win. It's because you need to work on your game. You need to become a better writer. How about work on that? It's not, it's, you know, so they're telling you, maybe you're not good enough, but in the meantime, you can, you should always be working on your craft, get better and better at a, as a writer. And, uh, that, you know, you don't need a contest to do that. You can, or you can also shoot your own stuff. You can make it. I've done plenty of webinars on what I would do and I'm going to do another one on, on what I would do if I had a break into the industry today. But at the end of the day, if you're not a good writer, there's just no demand for you. And I know you're going to say, well, but aren't there bad writers working? Sure, there's a whole range of writers working, but the bad ones aren't going to keep writing forever. You know, they may have gotten lucky. And that can't be your strategy. Your strategy can't be, well, they're bad. I can be bad too. No, there's no demand for, demand for mediocre writers. You need to work on your craft and get better. But there's a lot you can do. And we'll talk more about that in future webinars. Yeah. Yeah. I'd also say that that a lot of that rejection, keep in mind that that also might be topical. It might be related to your subject matter. And it may be that some of those are very specifically looking for stories. Like Sundance, for example, is a good one. They're looking for underrepresented voices. And so they're looking at indigenous stories and they're looking at people with something interesting. So the work I've done there, they're very fascinating people and typically from a different ethical, racial, more of a what we call a protected class background who have not had opportunities to tell their stories that are unique. So you got to understand your audience too. And that's still a lesson you got to learn. So, all right. Uh, Jarrett Frierson, ultimately, what's most important, establishing connections and networking or making your writing the best it can possibly be? Well, if you could have the best network in Hollywood and if your writing is no good, no one's going to go out on a limb and hire you. I mean, because that, that they're jeopardizing their own career. If, you're ha if they have a show and they can hire one writer uh, and they got some bad writer that's not contributing and is going to drag them down, they're not going to risk their career for you. I don't care if you are their babysitter, you know? You have to be good. So you can, why not, why can't you do both at the same time? Why can't you work on your craft while continuing to make the, the, the context and expanding your circle? But again, I talk about, I've talked, I've spoken about at length about what that means, what your network means. And your network isn't people you randomly send emails to, you know, once a year to keep, that's not your network. Your network are your, is your cohort. People, um, your friends, people you're close to, people you work with, people, your, your class, your graduating class. These, this is your network. It's not people who you reach out to on LinkedIn and they, they decide to friend you. That's not your network. No, it's Kevin who texted me today and said, hey, man, how are you doing? We haven't talked story in a while. You want to hop on a call? And we have a call tomorrow to go over stuff. Oh, great. Right. He's the guy, he's the guy who sends me things to read and I send him things to read and we hop on the calls and we spend an hour talking yeah. about them. Great. We, you know, perfect. It's, so awesome. Uh, cool. Moving on. This section is craft. It's just the, how we, how we do the job. Olivia asks, some teachers say you need establishing shots. Others say no. Who's right? 
uh, <laughs> well, you, I, I guess if you're going to shoot it, you always want to, if, if you're shooting something, get an establishing shot. It helps establish your location. Uh, we always have establishing shots. I've never been on a show. You, you need an establishing shot, especially if you're going to cut from one location to another. If you're, if you're doing a scene in someone's house and the next scene is in a restaurant and you don't put an establishing shot, people are going to think, wait, is is the is there is the back room of the house a restaurant? They're not gonna they're gonna be confusing. So get the, grab an establishing shot. Do you need to put it in your script? No, you don't need to put. You don't yeah. need to say exterior restaurant day. You you know, I mean you could say interior restaurant day. So you don't need that. You don't need to slug an establishing shot in your script. But if you're gonna yeah. shoot it, get one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And a, an answer I wish I would have had in 2009 and 10, when I was writing a lot of establishing shots for no purpose. Yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't, doesn't make it more, does it make the read more enjoyable? No. And more and clear and right. And the slug line makes it clear. I am inside yeah. a restaurant. Yeah, I so get it. I know what a restaurant the first is. AD, the first AD will schedule yeah. uh, exterior shot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Tamara Hansen. What would you say are the most important things to pay attention to when writing a thriller? And that, and what would you say is the biggest difference between a horror versus a thriller? I thought it'd be an interesting one because you're a comedy writer. Yeah, I'm not really the best person to ask. I mean, a, a horror, because I don't write either one of them, but you know, a horror can be just a, a slash fest, a slash film, you know, which is guts and gore and uh, you know, a slasher movie where there's, there's a, a mass murderer at a campground, you know, that's a, a horror movie could be. Whereas a thriller doesn't have to be all that guts and glory. It could just be uh, 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 the fugitive, right? A guy, you know, a guy running from the law. There was no guts and glory, guts in that. It was just uh, a guy, you know, keeping one step ahead of even almost like an action movie. So those are the, those are the kind of differences. But in terms of writing, they still both need to have a story. Both need to have, yep. you both have to follow a story. And, you know, that's something that can be learned. And that's the answer, right? Is yeah. focus on telling a good story and then you'll learn the tropes and the. Yeah, because no one wants to read a story. If your screenplay is like, you know, they go camping and the dad gets murdered and now the son's running from the axe killer. Who cares? Like, what's the story? Yeah. It's, it's great. Silence to have them. of the Lambs. Silence of the yeah. Lambs, on the other hand, wins the Oscar, Oscars because at that end scene, we are worried Clarice Darling is going to be consumed by this darkness she's yeah. been avoiding. So it's not just yep. plot, it's plot and story make something great. Yeah, that's solid, solid answer. Christine, I'm an artist getting into production for animation. What would you say is the most important thing I would know from your perspective as a writer on an animated show? Well, if you're an artist, I mean, these animation houses often give you tests and I, I've never worked at an animation house, even though I've worked with many and the tests are, you know, can you draw? I know Disney famously has a, um, I think they call it like a, 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 a sack test or a potato sack test or something where they ask animators, this is a, you Google it and you'll find it, uh, to write the emotions, imagine a sack of flour. And now make, it has no eyes, no, no limbs, no arms or legs, no eyes or face. Make the sack sad. Now make it excited. Now make it angry. And, and this is the, a famous test that they do to show all the emotions of a sack of flour without relying on the facial expressions. And that really apparently is what made Disney so amazing in animation way back when they first started. So study all that. But again, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not an artist uh, you know, for animation, so I'm not the best person to talk to. Yeah, it rings true though. Uh, the the magic carpet in Aladdin, very emotive, very expressive. No face, no arms. So, Conrad, Michael, what's your rules around character descriptions when introducing them? How many samples would you recommend? Oh, it's two questions. I apologize. First question. Yeah, uh, character description. You know, um, sh shorter is better, and you want to, you know. You, you want to describe them a little bit and it helps to give them a little bit of a, their personality, uh, you know, and, and it shouldn't be cliche. Girl next door is pretty cliche. Doesn't know how hot she is, is cliche. You know, G give some, give some juice to this character and in that description age, uh, what do we need? What do they look like? That helps, but also to help describe 
their personality just a little bit and, and in, in a way that's not a cliche. That's often why people say, think think Jack Black or whatever. Okay, well that, that does help because we know Jack Black is a little outrageous. We know he's, he thinks he's cool, maybe he isn't, but he's got that attitude. You know, that helps. Um, that's one way people do it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, wardrobe important as well because it, it tells us who the character is. It's something else you can consider a lot of people don't think about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you meet a woman, if she's wearing overalls, that, that says something about you. Maybe she's, you know, out, maybe she's outdoorsy. Maybe she's, she works in the garden a lot, you know, as opposed to wearing, you know, a dinner gown. Yep. Yeah. And it gives uh, eventually if it's going to get made, it gives your uh, costuming department something to work with. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, wow. Vilimipsky. Can you tell us about the eight episode structure of the Hollywood movie in three act storytelling? Is there anything else? Jan from Finland. I don't understand the question. What is it? Yeah. So 8.9.88, that structure of a Hollywood film. Um, right. There are specific beats and metrics you need to hit within a, oh, a structure. Thought, it's more of a formulaic okay. approach. They said eight episode. I'm pretty sure they're talking about eight beat or eight point. And I think that's famous. I thought they were like talking UCLA. about eight episodes. Okay. So they wanted, the question is, can you tell me more about the points of... Uh, yeah. The eight, they're saying the eight episode structure of the Hollywood movie. And so I think what they're yeah, saying is the that's eight why, point yeah, that's structure. Why I did hear it right. I did hear it right. You did hear eight it right. episode structure. That doesn't make sense. No, it's yeah. eight point structure of a Hollywood movie uh, compared to three act storytelling or in three act storytelling. Okay. So every, okay. Okay. So I was confused. So I always, I teach every, in my course, I teach three act structure and that can be applied to everything, whether you're making a movie, a TV show, half hour, 90 minutes, 60 minutes, doesn't matter. Three act structure. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's just that in a movie, it's going to be a little, everything act is going to be a little longer lengthwise than in a half hour TV show. In terms of these points that you're talking about, not episodes, but points. Yeah. I also, when I teach my class, there are points that you think that have to be met. The bottom of act one is a point, the middle of act two, the bottom of act two. I teach all this. I have a certain number of things that you have to do per episode in order to tell a compelling story. It's not formulaic. It's just something that you need to have in a story so that it feels like you're not just treading water so that stuff happens. So if you'd like to learn more about that, we have a screenwriting course. It's only open once a month for a couple of days, but you can sign up to find out when it will be open. That's at michaeljammon.com slash course. Hey, it's Michael Jammon. If you like my videos and you want me to email them to you for free, join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos. These are for writers, actors, creative types. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not gonna spam you, and it's absolutely free. Just go to michaeljammon.com slash watch list. Awesome. Keenan, what is your opinion about whether writers should adopt and master three-act structure versus the mini-movie method, roughly eight 15-minute movies that make up a feature? Is there any reason they should be blended together? I don't even, I don't even know what that is. I only know three-act structure. I don't know what this 15-minute... I don't know where you're learning this stuff from. I don't, what difference does it make if, if I'm telling a story? I don't... Okay, just so you know, when I tell a story on a sitcom... It's not 15 minutes, but it's 22 minutes because sitcoms tend to be short. So is there any difference between a 15-minute sitcom and a 22-minute sitcom? No, it's just you're, you're cutting out a couple of minutes. That's all. Uh, there's just no difference. Everything is three-act structure. Uh, boy, they make things hard. Boy, the internet makes things hard for people, I think. <laughs> yeah, these are a bunch of branded terms that I've read about in books and in other places that you've not because you don't look at those things. Yeah, I don't and, uh, Yeah. Like ultimately, from my perspective, it's just a lot of it is very, very confusing. Um, there's, there, it does get very formulaic into, you know, you need to introduce everybody, every major character of your script by page three. You need to have your inciting incident on page 10. You need to end yeah. your script, act one on page 25. And then it becomes so burdensome. And then you fall yes. into the dark zone and wasteland of act two where no one tells you what you have to do in that. Uh, but Talk about making, your course, there's so many people. Yeah, go ahead, Phil. Go ahead. I was going to say, but then in your course, it's like, oh, they're very clearly defined what I need to do in the top of act, act two, 
middle of act two, bottom of act two, like mm. very clear. And it's like, oh yeah, this all makes way more sense. And now I understand exactly what I need to do. But it's also so, simpler. It's like, they don't, they make it yeah. so complicated. Well, it's you like, know? they feel like making it complicated and naming it something fancy is a, is a way of just making it sophisticated and seem more advanced. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, like I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I wrestled in high school. I like grappling. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is just a, a – it's when you talk about climbing a mountain, that's my version of climbing a mountain right now is just getting just tapped out and practice murdered by a bunch of people half my size. And mm. there's this thing called white belt mindset, right, which is looking for the cool hack and the cool trick that the other guy doesn't have. But then you I watched this uh, black belt. He did – as Luter watched it last night. There's a black belt who's talking about a study that was done out of 500 fights – in, in mm-hmm. jiu-jitsu you're not punching people in the face it's just submissions and grappling he said out of 500 fights what is the percentage of specific moves that won a fight and it's like the first three the top three make up 50 percent of all wins and they're the basics mm-hmm. the right. next four the other basics and they make up 95 percent of the taps so people are so caught up in the in the tips and tricks and hacks and it's it's fundamentals it's all about fundamentals but- also, like when we when I'm in a writer's room all the time, we don't use these words that everyone seems to be, have learned on the internet. Like that's why when you said 15 minutes, 15 minute structure, what I, it's unfamiliar to yeah. me because I've, in my 27 years we don't talk like that. So what I teach you is how we talk. It's like it's not as complicated as people wanted. Like when you learn from somebody, screenwriting, just find out. Are they qualified to teach you? Forget, I don't care if they wrote a book. No, no. What shows have they written on? And this is advice that you give everyone. You literally say, if it's not me, you don't need to learn from me. Find someone who has done the job. Look them yeah. up. And you you made me, you didn't make me, you asked me maybe a year ago to put up all these samples that used to be in the course publicly on the site so people could vet your writing and see your writing just as in yeah. a, you know, like hey you want to help people here's some samples of real shows you can go watch on hulu or netflix or Tubi, wherever right now that exists that were produced uh and get an idea of whether or not they want to learn from you and yeah if you don't think you say, I'm if good, not don't, don't find study somebody else <laughs> right yeah. right find someone just study their work do you like it if, learn from them if you don't find somebody else yeah uh, Lynn Marie, in my last script, I had too many characters. When you are hired as a writer, are you given a number of characters? Does it depend on the story you've created? No, the, it, it's, not, you, it's not like you're given a number, but you can't service all of them. If you, ha- you had too many characters, so you can't service all of them. And so you have a bunch of actors. You're going to hire whatever your number of actors that's on your TV show or movie, whatever. Let's say it's five main actors. Uh, on a, let's say you're doing a TV show. You have five actors. And if you can't service them, if you don't can't give them anything to do, they're not going to be happy. I actually I heard um, uh, I was watching an interview with Alan Ruck from Succession, and he, I think he was talking about season two or season one. I don't remember, but he he said like the first three episodes of that season, he wasn't doing anything, and he went to the showrunner and director. He goes, guys, maybe you want to kill me off because because I'm not doing anything. And they said, no, 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 please don't go into the I know it's slow now, but we have great stuff for you later in the season. And he's like, oh, okay. And, he's, and he said, I'm glad I stuck around because they did. Uh, he almost made a mistake of leaving. But you can't have an actor stand around and not service them. You know, yeah. why are you paying them? So I, mm. I go through this in the course as well. Like how many characters should you basically have for a TV show? For a movie, it's a little different. But um, you got to give them something to do. Why are you paying them? Yeah. And without naming names, and this is something I, I just read yesterday, some other advice on the internet. Combine characters so that you're not randomly dropping in new people throughout the movie or abandoning those you've established. Like, a lot of bad advice about characters as well on the internet. And it's, the answer is, well, do they serve the story? Yeah. Do they, you, you, they have to have something to do. They have something to compel them. They can't just stand around and nod when somebody else says something. You got to give them a good attitude, strong attitude, or else why are they in the scene? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, moving out of craft, another section, being a pro. Anonymous. I was an actor on Lopez, one of Michael Jamin's shows. Loved it. Oh. Critically loved, but I felt the network it was on really limiting it, limited it. How do you compromise with a network on the final product? They're paying for it. You give them what they want. What's the compromise? They're paying you. Do you want to work again or not? They have the right. This is what they want. 
and you have to give them what they want. That's the compromise. Uh, you know, you're obviously you're going to try to do it to your best of the ability so that you feel it's good. But at the end of the day, you give them what they want because it's, they're paying for it. Like, what's it? What's this stuff? My art, my words. Like, what's that what, word? How is that going to put foot on your plate when they fire you? Yeah. When we first yeah. started, you referred yourself as a tailor. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Uh, basically, I, I, yeah, I think of myself as a tailor. When they, when someone comes in, they say, I, you know, I got slacks, uh, and I say, okay, you want cuffs? And they say, yeah, I want cuffs. Okay, I can give you cuffs. I don't say, I don't say, no, you're going to ruin my slacks. It's theirs. I, whatever you want, I, I can give you pleats. I can give you cuffs. Whatever you want. Uh, and I'll, I'll try to make the best. And I can give you a recommendation. I could say, you know what? You wouldn't look good in a three in uh, in a double-breasted suit. You'll look better if it's a single-breasted. And they'll say, but I want double-breasted. Okay. I will give you the best double-breasted suit I can. Yep. That's being yeah. a pro. Great. Yeah. Uh, Jim, someone offered me an option with no payment. Is it worth it to tie up my script? An option with no payment? It sounds like a bad... <laughs> That's like a bad that doesn't sound like an option and may not actually be legally binding, by the way. Yeah. In most states, there has to be an exchange of money to be able to option. Sometimes it's a buck. Sometimes it's a significant yeah. amount of money. Uh, but to I, me, Michael, my un, my unsolicited opinion here is yeah. run. Like that is just a waste of time. And if you listen to the last podcast that we did, mm. uh, I recently just had an experience similar to this. Um, yeah. Not exactly this, but Run. I was. That's my opinion, Michael. You know, I, years ago, I was uh, I was a writer, I was a successful writer working on a TV show, and my partner wrote a script, and uh, we didn't sell it. No, actually, that's not true. We that's not true. We sold it to HBO, um, and then we got the rights back, and then some other network because HBO decided not to make it, and then some other network wanted to buy it, and I'm like, oh, okay, and um, and they, their offer was one dollar. And I said, well, you're going to have to do more than that <laughs> dollar. I told him to go fuck off. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sorry, you don't get my script for a dollar. Uh, but, yeah. it, you know, it, it suss out these people. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what kind of option. Why don't I don't know. That's not really an option. Uh, it doesn't sound no. like a good deal. Who are what these that people? sounds what that sounds like to me is some guy who thinks he's a producer is sees something in you and wants to take advantage of you at your expense to yeah. go hawk your script to go make a dime. And the answer is, if your script is that good, other people are gonna read it and they're gonna want to pass it around and they're gonna wanna make it and and that's an option. That's something to pursue. Someone offering you an option for nothing, it's just, just move on. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it sounds like it sounds suspect. You're, if, you're, you're a, if, you're, you're if your gut's telling you to run, then run. Listen to your gut. Yeah. My gut is speaking for you, Jim, Yeah, run. Cool. Moving on. Miscellaneous. Just a bunch of uh, questions. Probably four or five here, Michael. Okay. Uh, Mark, how does one copyright a screenplay and how much does it cost? You can register your screenplay with the Writers Guild of America. I don't know. It might be 35, 40 bucks or something. Uh, a copyright, you know, I think the minute you write it, it's copywritten. You know, you can mail yourself a copy but in the mail and keep it sealed. But again, I don't give legal advice on this on this channel. So, don't I, I'm telling you what I know you're gonna if you if you're really worried about it you can get an entertainment lawyer and or you can Google it and you can find out for yourself so I I don't give you any again there's nothing in it for me to give anybody legal advice I'm not a lawyer so uh, so these are a couple options but please explore more electronic filing is forty five dollars a standard application is sixty five dollars and you can and, do it and for that free. gives you certain protections not all but do your own due diligence so it also publishes it in a registry that is searchable and anybody can go find your script and mm -hmm. there you go but again idea versus execution yeah right it's all about it's all about the execution all right tina should we get it registered with the wga before we have someone read it what is the best way to get your script in front of someone for just notes and perry does registering a script with the wga protect the ip from being stolen from me i've only registered i should do a webinar on that on getting stolen you know yeah that's a that's a big topic and i it's you know, it's a scare. Look, the questions from my perspective, they're scarcity mindset questions. Like you need to be smart, but if you're worried about someone stealing your idea, it's saying like, well, this is all I have instead of saying, okay, like I'll just move on. And, and it's very hard to prove 
theft of intellectual property. Unless yeah. It's just very hard. It's a case that very rarely wins. And I know of one very famous case that we did talk about early on in the podcast where um, there was a film that came out and they lost in France. France said that they stole an idea from someone and they had to pay a ton of money. But it was produced and made and sent out into the world by a professional filmmaker before mm -hmm. they even got there. So anyway, that's just my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can register. Ultimately, you're going to have to put your work out there uh, if you want to get hired. And if you can keep you want you can keep it yourself. And, and if you're so worried about it and you'll never it, no one's going to find it in your closet. So yeah. uh, I, I will probably do a webinar at some point talking more about this at length. Um, but ultimately you, you're going to have to put your work out there and, yeah. and, and be careful who you give it to. Don't give it to the guy in Starbucks with the handlebar mustache, but you can give it to, <laughs> you know, reputable studios and, and you shouldn't have to worry too much. Yeah. Um, one thing that just came up again, we talked about before was registering your script with the WGA and then putting your registration number on your cover. Mm -hmm. Um, it feels, it feels pretty pretty amateur it feels a little kinda... bush league i've only registered for what it was worth only one script in my entire career that was the first one i ever wrote and then i was like yeah. i can't and then i was like i can't afford to do anymore because <laughs> it's like 40 whatever it was 40 bucks i can't afford to do this you can submit it. it directly through final draft by the way you can register your script oh. through final draft now it's been out for a couple of years but i didn't know that okay. I, I think registering your script and as a paper trail that can be serve as in court as evidence is one thing but putting it a registration number on your script is another mark of yeah maybe don't do that maybe yeah, yeah. Ryan McCurdy, how does someone who is in multiple guilds, the WGA, DGA, and PGA, navigate their jobs? Do they just not write but will direct, or do they not work at all? How do people who are in multiple guilds – oh, sorry, it's a repeat of the question. I apologize. But I don't know if this is a reference to the, the strike? strike specifically, but I thought it was a good question for you because you WGA and DGA, right? Uh, yeah, but it's not, and I'm not even an active member in the in the DGA. I, whatever job you're working at, if you were working as a director now, you there's nothing to navigate. You pay dues. If you if you're getting directing gigs, then you will pay f dues on those directing gigs, and you have writing gigs, then you pay uh, you know dues for that. So there's nothing to navigate. It's just like you only pay dues if you earn money for uh, for the work you've done. Although, you know, I should be clarified, you do have a, a, a low monthly fee of like, it's probably 25 bucks every quarter or something like that, uh, you know, in addition. So, but there's nothing to navigate, really. Yeah. And during this strike, it, I think specifically, not to speak for the Writers Guild, but the research I've done as someone who is kind of at that stage of my career where I do have the opportunity to have some meetings with people and have some conversations and conversations mm -hmm. I've had with the WGA. Right. It is against the WGA strike guidelines to have meetings with signatory companies right now regarding mm -hmm. written work. It does not mean you can't sit at home and write. And it does not mean that you can't work with other writers and pass things around. It, what it means is you shouldn't be seeking employment or to gain monetary value from a signatory. That's that's in violation. Yeah. So regardless if you're in the guild or not, it's you shouldn't be doing that. Right. So next question. Lindsay, what was the biggest surprise to you when you first started working in the writer's room? The biggest surprise was uh, everyone was incredibly talented. This is when I was on Just Shoot Me, and I was in way over my head. I was able to write one script on, you know, with my partner. We, we wrote, like, I was able to be funny on my own, at my own pace. But in a writer's room, when you're surrounded by really talented writers pitching ideas, I didn't understand the difference between a good idea and a bad idea. I had no idea. And I was worried about being fired because I didn't know how to contribute. Uh, that was really eye-opening. It was like, man, everyone is so funny. And I'm laughing. After a couple of weeks, I'm like, no one's paying me to laugh. I'm getting paid to make people laugh. I better figure out how to do that fast and, and figure out how to contribute meaningfully in a writer's room. And that really means understanding story structure. That That's kind of what I, that's what I teach in the course. If you were lucky enough to get that break, you, God, you don't want to screw it up by not understanding how to story structure and understanding like how to do the job. Like, man, if, if you were, if here's the thing, if you get hired tomorrow, 
not wonderful. You got hired in a show, sign up for my course immediately and cram it because you do not want to get fired from your job because you don't understand how to do the job. And I'm telling you, 99% of new writers just don't because there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. So whether they get fired or not is a different story. But I see I see people flame out all the time. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking seeing that turnover, even for someone at my level, just knowing I want that job so bad. Uh, but at the same time, coming to the realization that, man, I wouldn't have been able to do that job either. Yeah. 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 Think you think you can and you you have the enough gumption and ego to push you along to say, I can do that job. And you have to have that blindness to reality to continue moving forward. But there's also a level of reality you have to settle into to say a personal assessment. Yeah. Oh, I would have been fired too. I would like not I, have been able to execute. Phil, you know me. I'm not, I never like yell at people, take my course. I'm never like saying, sell my, I'm never sell, sell, sell. Take my course. You know, but if you yeah. get hired on a staff job, take the course, please. Because if you don't, if you get fired off this thing for not knowing, let's say, oh, you'll kill yourself. You will be so upset that you are not prepared. So, well, on this note, did, didn't you have a friend who was a showrunner who basically wanted to offer all of her writers your course because yes. they didn't know story? I forgot about that. Yeah, I did have a Without friend. going into detail of like the, mm-hmm. that, do you want to talk about that, like the conversations you were having with her about what those struggles were? Yeah, she was running a show, a big show on a major network. Uh, this is a friend that I've worked with uh, many years ago, but she's a really talented writer. And uh, so she was running the show with a bunch of new staff writers and and she was just so frustrated with the quality of work. Actually, I'm not sure if she was running it or she was co-running it with somebody else. So maybe it might not have been her show. She might've been co-executive producer. And she was very frustrated and she was like, I wish everyone here would just take your freaking class so that I don't have to educate them so that they could stop arguing with me all the time when I'm telling them what a story should be. So they would stop arguing with her and just Mm -hmm. listen and contribute meaningfully. Because it's like, you know, that's what's so frustrating is like, when a new writer doesn't know how to do the job, they'll often fight for some, something because they don't know any better yeah. and they want to contribute and they fight for something which is a terrible idea without knowing what a good idea is. And so, yeah. and she was like, oh, this is so frustrating. I wish they would just take your damn class so I wouldn't have to waste energy yelling at them or arguing with them, you know? Yep. And she's a good writer. She's talented. She's worked for 20 something years. Yep. And, uh, Again, I've I've seen in my limited career in the writer's room, I have seen people burn out for arguing with the showrunners about something that ultimately doesn't matter to the story. Um, And more specifically, arguing with the showrunner's vision of what the story should be. Yeah. Oh, boy. That's sad. And and you have a whole section in the course, too, about... um, writer's room etiquette like how do you how do you behave mm-hmm. in a room and i had conversations with the with the lizards when i was on tour about that etiquette and the reality of the fact that you know when you're new shut up and listen shut up <laughs> yeah only open your mouth if you have something that is stunning yeah. so awesome two more questions here olivia asked does the corp help uh, does the course help us find an agent at the end uh, well, I mean, it doesn't, I don't give you instructions on how to do that, but it's certainly going to, it's certainly, if you can't write a good script, good luck getting an agent. So the course teaches you how to write a good script. Uh, hopefully doors open after that, but, uh, good luck. You're not going to be able to trick an agent into hiring you if you don't know how to write or not hiring you. I don't like the expression representing you. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Two two things. One, there I believe there is a and a in the bonus section where you do talk about agents and managers. And yeah. you go over the realities of that situation. Two, um, I'm blanking. Oh, you did, I, didn't you do, oh, one of our early podcasts. It was like episode five or something was talking about agents and managers. So go back and listen to that podcast. Yeah. Good stuff in there. Lindsay, last question. Do you prefer to be a member of the writer staff or be the showrunner? So when you're starting off, when I was starting off, I did not want to be the showrunner at all because it's like I knew I didn't know what I didn't know. And then I did it for about 10 years as a staff writer, learning, soaking it up. After about 10 years, you rise so high that the next step is you either become a showrunner or you just don't work because there's just not that many jobs. So becoming a showrunner actually opens up opportunities. So uh, my partner and I took that jump and we started, you know, looking for opportunities to run shows and we ran, we've run three shows. When we were 
when we were before we became showrunners, you're always looking at your boss. You're always thinking, I bet I could do my job. I bet I could do his job or her job better than he or she can. Then when you finally get that job, you're like, ugh, it, it's so <laughs> it's so hard. I don't know why I thought I was so arrogant to think that. And now, like I said, I've done it. I've proven myself. The show I'm currently on, I'm co-exec producer. I'm not the showrunner, and I'm perfectly happy not to have that pressure of being the showrunner. I'm perfect. I make less money, but I'm perfectly happy. So, I'll, I'll. But if the next job is showrunner, better than being unemployed. I'll, I'll take whatever you know. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to do it. But I'm also. It's not an ego thing for me where I need to be the boss. Yeah, in the documentary showrunners that I've recommended many times, mm-hmm. um, there's a showrunner who says that a network at a certain point is so concerned with getting the thing done that if you were literally dying on your deathbed and you had to be wheeled, you're like, I can't come in, I can't do the job. Um, I would have to be wheeled in on a gurney and put up on an IV. They would say, <laughs> what kind of gurney would you like and what kind of IV, what would you like in the IV? Because yep. the showrunner job is that important to mm-hmm. the overall production. Yeah. So do you get paid for the stress involved with that? Yeah, yeah. Although so. not the shows that I did. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were cable shows, so they were less money than network. Critic, critically acclaimed cable yeah. shows. Yeah. So that's it, Michael. That's your June webinar Q&A. Woo! Yeah, thank you so much, everyone. We got a lot. What can you do? Phil, if, if someone, like I said, I should mention this. All the webinars are free to attend. If you attend, we always give you a little something special. If you miss it, we send you a free replay within 24 hours. If you do not watch that and you want to watch some of the old ones, they are available for purchase on my website at a small fee. All this stuff, I got a free lesson. I got a free webinar. I got a free newsletter. Sign up for all of it on my website, michaeljammon.com. If you want to see me tour with my book, my forthcoming book is called, uh, uh, right now it's called The Paper Orchestra. I may be changing the title. I don't know. But um, you can learn more about that if you want to see me in your city. Go to michaeljammon.com slash upcoming. I'd love to see you there. I'd love to see everyone there. Uh, uh, you know. Oh, it's great too. I, I went for my birthday last year. You did a, a performance and an incredible performance. Yeah, incredible performance. But then also, um, I, uh, wait, your birthday's tomorrow, isn't it? Oh, God. My dad called <laughs> anyway. me today. He goes, happy birthday. He goes, it's not my birthday yet. He goes, I know. <laughs> Why'd you call me then? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, um, I went and then it was fun. I got to meet people from your course who I've talked to for years and they were there supporting and it's fun stuff, but really, really cool way to, to see how story moves. And it's not like you have amazing sets and choreography no. and like crazy no. lighting. It's you moving people with words with and it's words. a great explanation, a great display of what storytelling should be was how I would describe that. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Yeah, everyone, come see it. Thank you so much. All right, Phil, until next week. Keep writing. Keep writing. All right. Thanks, everyone. This has been an episode of Screenwriters Need to Hear This with Michael Jammon and Phil Hudson. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for Michael's monthly webinar at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. If you found this podcast helpful, consider sharing it with a friend and leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. For free screenwriting tips, follow Michael Jammon on social media at Michael Jammon Writer. You can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. Music by Ken Joseph. Until next time. Keep writing.